Well, we've been in this series, and we're going to cap it off this morning. And, and, and the way it is, a lot of times, I hate to see this series go. Uh, but it's time. It is time. It's time to move on. It's okay. But I hate to see this series go. We've been talking about, I love my church. And more than just my church, it's the church. Um, but I do. I love my church. And we've learned a quite a bit. And I, I hope this has this helped you at all, this series, about us wanting to be a deep and wide church and, and, and you being a deep and wide Christian that you would get to know Christ and it would make you stronger. And the deeper you got into who He is, uh, the more you can communicate that to the lost and dying world. So the wider, in a good way, you can become as a Christian, um, influencing your friends and family and loved ones, maybe even some strangers along the way. But now we're going to continue in this series. And, and, and I, uh, this is uh, going to be a unique message in this series. Uh, there are some illustrations here at the end that I'm, I'm going to tell you right now you're not going to want to miss. And if you weren't here, I'm going to tell you next week. <laughs> you, you missed it. Um, I, I want to give you some language to use so that you can communicate and articulate why you love your church. And I know that you do, and, and your friends and your family might ask you from time to time, you know, why do you love your church so much? You go every week? Like, every week? And you serve and you do all this stuff with your church? Why do you do all that stuff? And I want to help you articulate that. So week four, I love my church. We are family. We are family. My church is family. I love my church because we're family. Look at your neighbor and say, we're family. Even if they're not really family. But I realize in most Nazarene churches, there are about three families total and about 300 people. But they say family is kind of like fudge, right? Mostly sweet with a couple nuts. But we live in a day and age... If, if we're brutally honest with, with ourselves, we live in a day and age where a lot of people don't have a good, strong family unit. We, come from, we see a lot of people that come from broken families and, and broken homes. There are children of divorce. I am one. There are, there's a lot of hurt in families and a lot of sadness and betrayal and rejection. And, and things aren't always as they seem or as they should be or as God intended in the family unit. And... Uh, there's so many in this world who are just plain flat out lonely. You know, we read, I read a survey that said about half of Americans would consider themselves lonely. One out of four feel like they have a close group of friends. And only half said that they have a meaningful in-person social interaction on a regular basis. People are lonely. And this is for all the lonely people thinking that life has let them down. Anybody? Somebody? All right. There's a few. Yeah. But do you realize that God already has made a cure for this loneliness disease? It's called the body of Christ. It's your church family. We are the body of Christ and you belong here because Jesus is the center of this family. It's a loving family. It's a family that blesses you. We're moving forward together as we follow Jesus. Not just as co-workers for the cause of Christ, but family members. Together, building the kingdom of God. We're family. And I've always 
felt that way when I'm, when I'm with a body of believers, and especially this one. I've always said, you know, we pray together as a family on Sunday mornings. So this morning, with that in mind, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bibles with you, you can follow along. We'll have it on the screen. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn over, it's in the New Testament. It's one of the Pauline letters, Pauline epistles. Someone said, Pastor said, do you, do you know where, you know what the epistles are? And the, someone said, yeah, isn't it the wives of the apostles? No, no, the epistles, folks, these are the jokes. If you're not laughing now, it's going to be a long two to three hours. But the, one of the epistles that Paul wrote was to this church in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians, the first letter that he wrote to this church, chapter 12, if you have it, say amen. All right. Chapter 12, we're going to be beginning in verse 12, and it says this. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body, and so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews and some are Gentiles. Some are slaves and some are free, but we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. So basically what this translates to, you VBS and Sunday school kids that came up, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Right. We're all a part of the one body. We come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, easy for you to say, different skin colors. Some are rich, some are poor, some are powerful, some are oppressed, some are politically left, some are politically correct or right. It doesn't matter. Because we come into this church and we're united by the same spirit. I'm going to get some emails. Ron, I'm going to go ahead and um, delete that and then edit that and cut that out this morning. But it means that when you come into church with all the insecurities that you normally carry along in life, those insecurities and those, those strange proclivities don't belong here in the church with the body of Christ because you're with family. You don't have to worry about those things. You're with family. You're not with people who are judging, judging you by your outward appearance or by how much money you make or how educated you are. You're with people who love you just because you're family. You should be secure knowing that you're one with the body of Christ. This also means that any of the prejudices that you carry in here before Christ have no place in the church family. Let me be crystal clear. Human nature is that we like to hang around or we like to be around people or we like to like people that are like us, right? And we're kind of suspicious of people that are different than us. Maybe even growing in the most extreme cases to hate people who aren't like us or who are different than us. But that's not the way it is if you're in Christ. That's not the way it is if you're a Christian. Because the blood of Jesus covers over the issues that divide us. Let me say that again. The blood of Jesus covers over the issues that divide us. Whether it's an ethnicity, a lifestyle choice, a skin color, whatever it is, the love of Jesus covers our differences whether it's economic standards, political opinions, these things don't divide us in the body of Christ because we dwell and operate out of the supernatural. When we're united by the same Spirit of God, it makes us family. And the more you get to know Christ, the more you understand how to be more Christ-like, 
And like I prayed in my prayer earlier, God will reveal the things that aren't the way he wants it to be. God will reveal that as you walk through this Christian life, as you seek him through his word, as you go to him in prayer, and as you seek him honestly and earnestly with all of your heart, God will reveal these things. It's not up to family to judge one another. Amen? Thankfully, I'm not the judge and jury. God will reveal these things. And it's the same spirit that we share that makes us family. Your family. What's the title of my sermon, week four? Anybody want to sing it? Thank you, Sarah. We are family. So in the scriptures, we see that God uses this covenant language to describe these three type of relationships. And, and it's, it's what I've realized that all covenant relationships are actually family relationships. Now, a covenant relationship is not like a contract. It's different. In a contract, if one party fails to uphold their side of the bargain, the other party is released from their obligations, right? If you don't hold up, we signed a contract. If you don't hold up to what you said, then, you know, I'm I'm free to go. But a covenant relationship is one where people that that are in that relationship, they endure, they stick with each other no matter what. The strongest covenant relationship in Scripture is the relationship between God and man. The Bible talks about a new covenant, right? Or in your Bible, it might be called the New Testament, which is a covenant between God and man, confirmed by the blood of Jesus. And God says that because of Jesus, for you, his children, he'll never leave you or forsake you. Covenant language, covenant relationship. He's given you, the word says, the right to be called children of God. You've been adopted into God's family, covenant relationship he's committed to us no matter what mistakes we make no matter how far we run god keeps calling and keeps loving us god is the god of second and third and fourth and unlimited chances it's a covenant relationship he said i will never leave you you may leave me but i will never leave you the moment you turn around, you think, I'm going to go my own way. Remember the story of the prodigal son. This is a bonus, not in my notes. The story of the prodigal son, where he chose to walk away, right? So many illustrations in Scripture where that individual who was in God's house, was in the Father's house, chooses to walk away. And yet, as soon as he realized his sin, he turned and his father was right there to welcome him with open arms. What a word picture for how God loves you and me. Covenant relationship. The next one is is in a marriage. In marriage between a man and his wife, the Bible says the two become one, one flesh. What God has joined together, let no one tear apart. And we talked about this in our marriage vows, many of us, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Covenant relationship. See, contract language is different, not covenant language. Contracts tell us, as long as you put your socks away, buddy, I'll stay your wife. I'll stick around. That's not covenant language. And then there's covenant language used to describe. So we have God's relationship with man. We have a marriage relationship. It's another covenant language. And then that covenant language is used to describe Christians and their church. It's all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New. Second Chronicles, it says about God's people that they share one heart. Malachi says that we are children of the same 
Father. The Gospel of Matthew says that we're equal as brothers and sisters. And then 1 Corinthians says that we're, one, we're of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And I love it in Colossians where it says that we should forgive each other in the church the way that Jesus forgives us. Comparing those two covenant relationships, he joins them together. And the passage that we're reading right now today says that we are parts of one body, family, covenant relationships. And you know that a body doesn't normally just throw away its parts, right? Maybe if you're a Mr. Potato Head or something, you can just pull off parts and attach them wherever you want. But that's not a real body. A body, its parts are semi-permanent, pretty permanent. You know, they tend to stick around, so we're going to keep reading. Verse 14, it says this, Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. 17, come on, 17. And if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? And the people that have teenagers with dirty rooms said, amen. But our bodies have many parts, the scripture says, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, well, I don't need you. Let's, let's stop right there for a minute. The Apostle Paul, he's writing this in kind of a comedic way. He's writing this kind of with a sense of humor. And I can hear Paul in his sarcasm, and, and he's kind of joking around a little bit and using a, a funny illustration, using the human body as an example, and he's saying that the body has different parts. It'd be strange to see a body made up of one part. That's a freak show. A person walking around, just a, just a body of hands, high-fiving everyone, just crawling around. You know, that would be really weird. And so we see these different parts in one body. And the reason we need to talk about that is because the body of Christ has different parts. And one of the mistakes Christians sometimes make is because they're a certain way or they have certain proclivities or passions, they find themselves just wanting to be around the other parts that are just like them. It's easy for the hands to get frustrated at the feet because feet don't care about hand stuff. And the nose gets frustrated with the eyes because the eyes don't really care about nose stuff. But in reality, God says we need each other. Amen. We need people with different passions, different backgrounds, different education. I think about how the church in America, oftentimes you'll find churches where it's all the same type of people in one church. You know, you'll see all Asian people or all white people, look around, and, and, or all African American people in church. And that, that's not a sin, you know, that's not necessarily wrong. It just doesn't look like heaven. The church is supposed to look like heaven. People of all races, tribes, tongues, ethnicities join together for their love for Jesus. You have different talents and abilities, and we need you in the body. You make the body better. It's good to have people with different talents, cultures, backgrounds. We need one another. Let's go to 22. 
In fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. Hmm. So we carefully protect these parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts don't require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. See... All the parts of the body are important. And when, when, we, when people teach on this passage, and I've heard this, and you probably have too, they'll, they'll, they'll make the comparison. You know, well, the, the custodian who sweeps the floor and, and makes, you know, makes all things shiny are, is just as important as the pastor who preaches the sermon. And that is true. We honor those folks. We couldn't do it without you. But what I, wanted, I want you to look at this from another angle. As I read this passage, think about who it was written to. Remember the first three rules of biblical exegesis, G-E-S-I-S, the first rule of biblical, reading the Bible and biblical interpretation. What are the first three rules? Context, context, and context, right. So in this day and age, the culture, the people who are being, this is being written to, the people that were least important, the weakest culturally and socially were children. Children. You know, children, I mean, it's not like it is today. You know, we got helicopter parents everywhere. Children are our future. Come on, let's get joined together. It's all about the kids. Don't make sure little Johnny doesn't get poked with a stick because I'm coming up there with a lawsuit next to you. It's, it's different today. It's all about kids today. But people's attitudes back in this context were that children should be seen and not heard. And it went, even went so far as to say that, you know, if a child dies... We'll make another one. Like kids were right above like the family dog, and they didn't have family dogs. So you kind of see where kids fell in, their, in that context at the bottom. In fact, we see examples. Uh, remember the example in Scripture when, when some kids were trying to come to Jesus and some of the disciples tried to stop them? And, and Jesus said, what did he say? Let the children come to me. The parts that are considered the weakest and least honorable should actually be treated with the greatest care. They're actually the most necessary because we know that if we don't give everything and every effort to these kids, if we don't raise up these kids, if we don't invest in kids and in youth ministry in about 30 to 40 years, there will be no church. There will be no Christians to preach the gospel if we don't invest in kids and children today. That's why kids are such a high priority here in our church, if you haven't noticed. Our children, our youth are high priorities. I want to say this too. There's another group that's treated as, as sort of weak and, 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 and having little honor, and that is the elderly. Oftentimes in churches, the elderly are kind of sent out to pasture, right? Oh, you know what? Hey, don't, don't bug us anymore. Let the young people be in here and play with all the toys that you paid for. Ouch. That's not honoring to God. That's not honoring our fathers and mothers and grandparents. So that one of the reasons why, why, why this church, we love to see a diversity of ages. A diversity, young and old. We want to know, we want all people in here to know that you have a place. You might be retired, but you can be refired for God. Amen. We want to honor the elderly. We want to honor. That's good to do, isn't it? Verse 25, I hope you're following along because this is one sermon you will not forget. I promise you. And it's at the end, so hang in there. Verse 25, this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care 
for one another. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. This is the scriptures. Each of you is a part of it. Look at your neighbor and say you're a part of it. Good. Now look at the other neighbor who you don't like as much and say you're a part of it too. You're a part of it. You are. And I love my church because we live together and dwell together with so much harmony. There's unity. There, are, there aren't factions and aren't divided groups. We're people that love one another, united with one another. As the Bible says, we are to live in harmony. So as a part of the body of Christ, we're called to care for each other. And I want to talk together about how we talk today about how we care for each other. Because if we don't, people suffer. And if one part suffers, the whole body suffers. So in order to be cared for in the body, you have to be connected to the body. What really makes me, what, the, the thing that I hear the, the, that really upsets me the most as your pastor is when someone says to me, you know what, pastor? I got sick and no one checked up on me. That breaks my heart. And I really feel sad, and I want to say it's probably not because no one cares about you. It's probably just that no one knew. No one knew. We didn't know. How many times did someone come to me and say, oh, do you know so-and-so had surgery? I didn't know. Because no one knew. You have to be connected. You have to have a connection to the community of the church. You're not in community if you're not in connection. And we aren't a huge church, but we're growing. And it's easy to not know everyone when you grow, especially when you grow fast. And if you're away for any period of time, you come back and you see faces you don't know and people you don't know how, where they come from. And, and you know, people have, a, have fears about being part of certain sized churches. They think if I go to a big church, I'll just be another, a num- another number. I'll get lost in the crowd. The truth is you won't get lost in the crowd, but you can sure hide in the crowd. If you choose to, you can hide in the church. And the reality is you can hide in a church of any size. Even a small church, people can come and they can hide. They don't necessarily wear camouflage and sneak along the wall, but what they do is they walk in, they clap, they sing, they worship, they listen to a sermon, and then they're out. There's no connection. You're not connected to the body of Christ That's why we create so many opportunities, right? The O in hope. How many opportunities do we have for people to connect? Life groups on Sunday mornings. Some call it Sunday school. Sunday night study. Cornhole. Wednesday night groups. SNL Super Bowl parties. Oh, big game parties. Not allowed to say that. That's trademarked. It's big game. And on and on. But, but, but when people are not connected, as the Bible says, they're not, be, they're not able to be cared for properly. And so I want to say this. You should realize that there's no difference in the number of relationships that you'll have in a small church versus a larger church. And I read a study back in 2007. It seems like a long time, but I'm, I'm sure it doesn't change much. They analyzed 6 billion 
phone calls made by 35 million people. And they analyzed the circle of relationships that people had. And what they found is that all people have about the same number of relationships. All people have about between 30 and 150 semi-closed relationships. Semi-close relationships, rather. People, they know their names. They know a little bit about what's going on in their life. And then there are circles of friendships that grow increasingly closer or more intimate, all the way down to about an average of four or five pretty close friends that most people have. And if you do some inventory in your life, you'll find this to be about, about right. Most people have four or five really close friends who they talk to most of the time. They have about 150 relationships where they know their name. Maybe some are co-workers. Maybe they sit on the other side of church. You really don't know them that well. And that would be the case if you went to church with 100 people or 1,000 people. You would still be the case. About a few good friends, maybe 100, 150 people, you kind of know who they are. But there are good things about small churches. They add great things to the body of Christ. And the good things about large churches... There's no such thing as a bad church size. Let me just go on record saying that. There are only bad attitudes about church size. So whether your church is big or small, you have to choose to connect in your church, in your body of believers. At any size, it's the church's responsibility to provide you with opportunities to connect. Your job is to connect. So that you can be cared for, like the scripture, cared for, making a difference. When something happens to you, we all suffer. We want to pray. We want to lift you up. We want to connect. So how do you connect? Because we're family, how do we connect? How do we function as a family? Family nurtures one another. We support one another. We challenge one another. We contribute. We celebrate together. We mourn together. We win together. We have to be connected to do these things. So how do we function as a family? First, surprise, come to church. Come to church. Now, I've been here a little over two years, full, full, you know, all the time. And when I look from my left to my right, I see a lot of purple seats this morning. Come to church. How do you connect? You have to come. On average, I'd say about maybe as much as one-third, a quarter to a third of our church is not here on any given week. In fact, I've talked to and heard from other churches and districts and even in the Church of the Nazarene. They say if you have a church of 100 people, you're really ministering to 200 because it's those people and then the people that switch out every other week So there's another 25 or 30 that are here one week, not here the next, but it's still 100. And then it's their family that hardly comes, but there's some kind, you know, the Christers, they'll be here once in a while. So there's another 25 or 30. So when you're actually doing ministry of a church full of 100 people, it's actually closer to 200. But you have to come. There are good reasons, I understand. You have to work, you got to go a work trip, people get sick, they go on vacation. All of those, would I, I would say, good reasons, good excuses. But not just because you're tired. Uh, not just because you've been busy. Not just because you really just don't feel like being around people today. Anybody ever hear somebody say that? I just don't want to be around people today. You can skip... But let me tell you, when reading the scriptures, if you're not around God's people, it's only hurting one person, you. It's going to end up hurting you. Why am I talking about this? Well, 
the connection that needs to happen between you and the people, you and Christ's body, if you miss, it's only going to hurt you. Opportunities, right? Yes, you can watch online. I get that. I mean, there are people who are watching online right now. Good morning. But they're, you know, maybe they're sick or they're home. They couldn't get here. I get it. The weather was questionable this morning. I fully understand. I'm not mad at you. Really, I'm not. It's better to watch online to be totally disconnected. Amen? But watching online is not a substitute for gathering with God's people at your local church. And being in the presence of God together with other Christians, it's not a substitute. And I know there are people that will say things like this. Well, you don't, I believe, first of all, you don't get to believe what you want to believe. There are certain things that God says to believe. But people say, well, I believe. You get your universe, you can believe whatever you want to believe. But this is God's universe, you have to believe what he tells you. I believe you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. How many have heard that? I believe you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I would say this. You don't have to be in water to be a fish. You know, a Christian out of church is kind of like a fish out of water. It's still a fish. Not going to be doing well for too long. It's going to be a pretty unhealthy fish after a little while. It's still a fish. And the, the Christian can be still a Christian, just not living in God's best for their life if they're not connected to a local church. Hebrews 10.25 says this, Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. And that word neglect, that's a pretty strong word. The definition is, is disregard of duty resulting from carelessness. Some people miss church because they're careless. Whoop, we overslept. Woo, we got too busy, overscheduled. Whoop, we didn't prioritize it. And think about how today, in this day and age, people who neglect their children, they get arrested. As they should. And even today, people who neglect their pets might get arrested. But why is it socially acceptable for Christians to neglect their own soul by not gathering together with the body of Christ? Christians have a duty to provide spiritual nourishment for themselves. Like my mom used to say all the time, thanks for saying this, mom, by the way. Worry about yourself. You have a duty as a Christian to nourish your own soul. And if you're a husband, you have a duty of that of your wife. And, and if you're a parent, that of your kids to nourish their soul. And there actually is a, a punishment for soul neglect. But if it, it's a self-inflicted wound, you have a duty to nourish your own soul. It's something that you do yourself. If you get isolated and cut off from the body, you, cut, you, ever, you ever hear people, I just heard of this, Someone was in a very unfortunate circumstance, two people I heard of recently, actually, um, where they got so inebriated or so high on drugs that they passed out. And they actually, both of these people died. But they actually, the way they collapsed on their body, cut off the blood flow of legs, of extremities. And, you know, if you cut, get cut off, if, if you tied a, a, a tourniquet around your leg long enough, eventually... It would start to wither and decay and die and yet stinketh. But it would. It would wither and it would, it would actually break off. 
It can't function the way it was meant to function. And Christians can technically be a Christian, yes. But you cannot live out the Christian life if you're not connected to the body of Christ. You can be a Christian. You just can't live with... You can't live without... Live out Christianity if you're not connected to the body. So be connected. When you come to church, when you do come, talk to people. Please, talk to one another. I know some weeks you're in a hurry and you have to get somewhere and you do have to leave, but that can't be every week. I know sometimes it does, but you can't just, you know, put your head down, don't make eye eye contact, especially don't look at the preacher. Just make, uh, just get out. Just get out. Blinders. Actually talk to one another. Talk to people. Oh, you say, well, I can't just walk up to strangers and talk to them. They're not strangers. If you heard the sermon, they're family. You go to a family reunion, even if you haven't seen that weirdo uncle for decades, you can still talk to him because he's your uncle. It's the same in the body of Christ. You can just walk up to people and start talking to them like family. You've been made family through the Spirit of God. And so some of you are... are, are, are are more mature in this than others. So you need, you need to help other people who haven't become confident in speaking to one another. Just come alongside and, and ask them how they are. Ask them how this is. Even if you know one little detail, ask them about that. And they can say, well, I don't do that anymore. I haven't done that in, in years. How, how's the scuba diving going? I haven't scuba, scuba dived in 10 years. Well, let's talk about that. Let them feel like they're family. I love my church because it's a church where people actually want to come. Kids actually want to come to church because they're family. People actually want to come to church. Some of you are only here today because your kids made you come to church. You know what I'm talking about, and and we're okay with that. You come in. We want you to come in, experience the presence of God, and grow and make friends. You're going to learn what the Scriptures say and what Jesus has for your life. You're going to leave better than you came in. Second way serve so you come the second way is to get plugged in serve as to function as part of the family here to get plugged in see at gsn i don't like to say volunteer like so many people say well i got a lot of volunteers i like to say team you're part of our team it's big game sunday you're part of the team there will be plenty of people that are going you'll see them on tv later they're ready to celebrate, boy. They're, re- they're ready. It's the big game. People get excited about their team. People get fired up about their team. But they're not volunteers. They're part of a team. It's more than just a word thing, because I know in the picture a lot of people think volunteers. People volunteer at, at the local animal shelter, right? People volunteer at the local soup kitchen. They're volunteers. But a lot of times, the the motivation for people's volunteerism or volunteering is to feel better about themselves, right? Well, I I need to go there and make a difference. But teammates rely on one another. They have each other's back. They're united in the same mission. They play hurt. They go all in because their teammates are relying on them. And we serve because Christ first served us. So we serve, and one of the best ways, you know, Christ didn't come to be a volunteer. Christ came to serve. One of the best ways to make new friends is to serve. You make friends, and you make, that, make a difference, 
and at the same time, you're volunteering, you're serving with friends alongside of you, and you get to know people. You form these connections. We have all these things, these, these opportunities that we have to gather together, to serve together. When you're serving alongside other family members you might not know as well, it gives you an opportunity to connect. You're serving Jesus together. In the process, you can have a whole lot of fun. I don't know if any of you have been a fly on the wall for these blanket-making sessions. Now, I've been here a couple times in the evenings, not in there, but I've heard the fun that's going on in some of these blanket-making sessions. Little commercial, Celeste, for the blanket-making. Other things that we do here, with the, the, the dinners and all that stuff that we do. How do we serve better with one another? First Peter 4.10 says that God has given you, each of you, a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. You have something to contribute. But if you're not contributing, if you're not connected, if you're not plugged in, you're the one that's going to suffer. And when you suffer, the body suffers. We saw that in the scripture. I like what this says in Galatians chapter 5. Follow along. 5.13 says this, For you've been called to live in freedom. Pay attention to this verse. My brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. A little bit of background in Galatians. It was written to a group of Christians who were really struggling against a false religion right about then and religious obligations. And there was this teaching happening that to be a Christian, you need to get circumcised. Remember we talked about that in week one, that you, in order to belong, these people were saying wrongly, in order to belong, you have to look like us, act like us, be like us. We talked about the way that the Jewish custom required it. And in the same way that you would ask, why aren't you like us? You can't serve, you can't be like us. Aren't you really glad that we don't do that in church today? You know, it's like, hey, welcome to church. Going to need you to get circumcised real quick. We got a surgical team in the back. We'll give you ice packs. Thanks, man. You're good. Then you can come on in. Just real quick in the back. People today, though, still struggle with religious obligations. Many religions require service, actually. And essentially, service is essential to be saved. They would say, you know, in Islam, serving, doing good is one of the five pillars of Islam. Eastern religions require people to serve, to earn karma, so they can eventually be reincarnated. Boy, isn't that a pleasant thought. Certain groups in our country require people to perform certain rituals to be accepted. And the Bible says you are free from religious obligation. You don't have to do this to serve. In fact, you don't even have to serve to be saved. You don't have to serve in order to receive, receive God's grace, his favor. You don't have to serve in order to get into heaven. You're not any, in, under any obligation to serve. God will not love you anymore or any less if you serve or you don't serve. You with me? But then I think in this passage it's interesting because it doesn't say, it says don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. And I think there's an interesting way to think through this. Maybe something you haven't thought about before. Our sinful nature is by sinful nature, is by nature selfish. 
Our sinful nature says, I want to do the things I want to do, when I want to do them. I only want to do the things that build up my kingdom. Why should I help you? There's less time for helping me if I help you. Our sinful nature is just lazy. I don't, just, I don't feel like it. It's too hard. It's too uncomfortable. I'm tired. And so this passage is saying, you're free. You're free from religious, religious obligation. You don't have to serve. But don't use your freedom, your free time. Now, you're, you're free from religious obligation. You don't have to do it. But don't use that to satisfy your sinful nature. Well, I don't have to, so I'm not going to. Instead, this passage says, use your freedom to serve one another in love. So I don't have to serve, but I want to. Because it's one of the ways I can show love to my neighbor. You following along with this? Stay tuned. Believe me, there's something coming at the end you're not going to want to miss. And, and I, I know people, you know how people, <laughs> how we describe a football game. You know, football games, especially one that's coming up this afternoon, the big game this evening, it's, it's 50,000 people out of shape, in desperate need of exercise, watching 22 athletes in desperate need of rest. That's how it goes in a lot of churches. Most churches, there's like a couple people, a handful of people who are serving and going all in, and they're giving everything, and there's just a lot of people benefiting from their serving, and they're not contributing at all. But I think the old saying that many hands make light work, we have, that's not, that's not how it is here. I understand. We have dozens of people that serve on a regular basis. Christmas dinners, trunk or treats, car crews, community spaghetti dinner. Several, several hundred people attend these events. And then there's several dozen serving in some capacity. That's a lot of help. There's a lot of people that contribute in this body. One person doesn't have to carry the load. And when there's a lot of people helping carry the burden... You're lessening the burden for each person, the more people that come on. They'll get through it. People say, oh, you know what? We'll just get in it and we'll get after it. We'll get after it. I need to get to the last point. The point is, get connected and get serving. If you're ready to get connected, the only thing you have to do to serve in this church is ask. Ask me, ask one of our team leaders, how can I help? Where can I serve? We'll meet with you. We'll get to know you a little bit, and you get plugged in. So serve, serve. God intended us, we know, to live in community with one another. You need this. You need this in order to thrive in your relationship, in your Christianity. Serve with one another. Get connected. It's kind of like this. This is a battery. We're kind of like Christians, right? Christians are like this battery. We've accepted that, you know, we've accepted Jesus. The Holy Spirit dwells within each of us. In fact, I can see how much Holy Spirit's in this one. You just push a button. See how, how much is left. We're, here we are. As Christians, we're saved. We've got the Holy Spirit in us. This battery has power within it. Power. Well, power power. 
This battery has power. But on, on its own, this battery, although good as it is, it, it's not being put to good use, just being a battery, is it? It's not being put to good use. I mean, I could, I could do stuff with it. I could throw it at you. I mean, have a catch. It could be a pretty good, pretty good paperweight. It's pretty heavy. But it's not what it's intended for. It needs to be connected. Right? Connected in order to be of good use. So it needs to be connected to what it was intended to be connected to. Oh yeah, this is happening. So we connect the battery to the leaf blower. Y'all are going to want to get your phones out. Guess what we did in church today? But when the battery is connected full of power onto what it was designed for in the first place, some really cool things happen. When the battery is connected, really cool things get to happen. That's a sermon illustration. <laughs> but for the battery to be used, like Christians, we can, we can be Christians all day long. But until we're connected to the body, until we're connected, the Holy Spirit in us is just waiting like a horse in the starting gate. That battery, it's not junk. It's, it costs money. I could buy that battery. It's valuable. It has value, yes. And every single Christian, even if you're not plugged in or serving, you have value. You do. You're valuable. You're just not very useful. Like this battery. Valuable, yes. Useful? No. Not until it's plugged in. You're able to contribute something to the kingdom of God. As I said, I don't care if you're 10 or 110. You can accomplish what God has and help him accomplish what he's doing in this church by being connected. You got to realize that you have power within you. You do. Just as the battery had power within it. You have power within you. But you become powerful when you're connected. Someone was sleeping and they're up now. It's Tim the Tool Man Taylor time. <laughs> Get connected. Be a part. Help build the kingdom of God. I know people are saying, well, pastor, how do I... How do I get connected? There are plenty of opportunities. Plenty of opportunities. Yeah, we might get on each other's nerves if we're connected and serving alongside one another. And yeah, you're going to probably get hurt because people are involved and where there's people, people sometimes say the wrong things or do the wrong things. Yeah, but when you're hurt, when you're hurt there's also people there to pick you up and encourage you back again and build you up. 
We'll forgive one another. We'll celebrate with one another. We'll mourn with one another. We'll nurture one another. This is what we do. We build the kingdom of God together. We're family. And we're all in this together. If you could see your way up here, Randy. And I'll close. I think we should close with that song, Randy. Just play it in the background and and we'll we'll get to it. Family of God. Not we are family. I think that's what he was thinking. I don't know that one. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the pointer, sister. No. <laughs> We're family. There are opportunities to serve and be a part of the family of God. As I usually say at the beginning and end of these services, don't leave here the same as you came in. We're about to start a membership class here in a couple months again. I don't have to schedule a class. If you want to become a member of this local body, you have an opportunity. If someone comes up to me and said, I want to be a member, I'll start a class next week. It's kind of my thing. I can do a membership class in my sleep. But you say, you know what, Pastor? I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to get connected. Serve one another in love. We are family. Amen? Would you stand? Let's bow our heads together. Father, once again, we come to you as a family, praying together, united. United by your spirit, God. Father, I realize that not everyone serves in every capacity or the same capacity. But Lord, you have given each individual certain gifts and abilities. And each and every person, Lord, that you have given those abilities has something to offer the body of Christ. And so God, would you speak to our hearts this morning through the Holy Spirit that we might be pushed, we might be encouraged to get in the fight and to serve and to connect. Help us, Lord, to make coming to your house a priority so that, God, when we connect and we serve alongside one another, we can do kingdom work. And as the family of God, Lord, we realize that not everyone realizes what we're a part of. And that, Lord, there are those who need to make that connection into the family of God. And, Lord, as we have accepted Christ as Savior, I wonder this morning if someone needs to take even that step in your holy presence this morning. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll give you the opportunity this morning. If you don't know Christ as Savior, He died for you. The punishment for your sin was death. But Christ died that you might have eternal life. If you've accepted that fact and you want to make it known, I would encourage you just to raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. 
I need to receive Christ this morning and be grafted in, adopted into God's family. It's my turn. Just slip your hand up and say, that's me. Father God, you know each individual's heart. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to give us opportunities to serve. And that, Lord, if there are those that are holding back this morning, I pray, Lord, that they would not leave here the same as they came in. And that you would be with us, Lord, as we go from this place and we don't depart from your presence. Father, bring us back to worship you at every opportunity we have. And we will serve God. We will use our God-given abilities. You've given us each individual talents, abilities, things we're good at. Father, would we use them for your kingdom in this local church? Father, use people in local churches all around this community and all around this world. Because, Father, you've laid it on our heart that the local church is the hope for this world. Might we reach out, Lord, and tell people why we love our church. It's because we meet God there. God, we're thankful to be a part of each other's family, but we're also ultimately thankful, Lord, for being a part of your family, the family of God. So God, would you go with us as we leave this place? And we leave here this morning encouraged with a song in our heart that we are so glad to be a part of the family of God. Let's sing that. If you know the words, sing it. If you notice someone next to you, sing it. Sing it to them. Not singing. Sing it to them. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Talk to one another. Greet one another as you leave this morning. God bless you.